You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Let's meet you tonight on the dedicated house. Let's stand together, Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. <coughs> when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house, and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. The dedicated house. Father, I pray tonight that I could be a help and a blessing. I thank you for this pastor and his family, what they mean to us, what a great encouragement they are to us. I thank you for this church and the, the smooth transition from Brother Atwood to Brother Che and how the church has rallied and has grown and is strong and uh, excited. And Lord, of course, all these events going on have, have been a hindrance to us and yet they have not, they've not defeated the church. And we thank God for that. I pray that you'd please help us tonight to have a, a good service in which you speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd bless my church back home and, and Brother Chandler as he preaches to our people. I pray that you'd bless them as well. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our text tonight involves God's instructions during a time of war. Before the battle, the officers were to allow certain men to leave and go home. If a battle was to take place right before a man's wedding, uh, he was to be allowed to go home and, and get married and enjoy married life and uh, for a year. If he just planted a vineyard and had not enjoyed the first harvest, he was allowed to go home and enjoy that time at home and and reap his first harvest. If he just built a new house and had not yet dedicated it, he was to return home and dedicate his house. And I want to speak, I use this text tonight to speak on the importance of dedicating our homes to the Lord. Before heading off to war, we need to make sure that we have the home front secure. We need to make sure that our homes are secure before we go running off into battle. The word dedicate means to set apart and consecrate to God. And our homes should be just as dedicated to the Lord as this church house we're meeting in tonight. There's no reason why our Christian home should not be as dedicated as the church house. And so how sad it is, unfortunately, that many church houses don't really seem dedicated to the Lord. I think they're dedicated to pleasing the, the, the people. They're dedicated to us and our comfort and our, our enjoyment and not necessarily to the holiness of the Lord. And that's unfortunate, but the same could be said of many of our homes. Uh, that, that truly the Lord is not king in our houses. That our homes are not as dedicated to the Lord as they should be. And sometimes you can have a church where the church and its services and its programs are dedicated to the Lord, and yet the homes of the people attending the church are not dedicated to the Lord. 
And that will send a mixed message to our children that will undercut everything that is going on in the church. And so it's important that before we go off to fight our battles with the devil, to make sure that our home front is secured. We're not going to have success in spiritual battles if the enemy has set up camp inside our houses. We need to have our homes dedicated to the Lord. This has happened so many times. I've seen it. Perhaps you've seen it also. I've known many preachers who are mighty warriors outside uh, uh, fighting the devil, and yet the devil conquered their own homes behind their backs. Uh, Many church members, they're busy serving and working in the church, but their own marriages are not dedicated. Their own children are not really dedicated to the Lord. And Satan, uh, while they're out there fighting those battles, Satan is back here stealing their children. And so we must make sure that our homes are in order, our marriages are in order, that our, our, our parent-child relationships are in order, that the husbands are taking care of their wives and loving their wives as they should, and that the wives are loving their husbands and being the submissive helpmeets that God designed them to be, that children are being obedient to their parents and honoring their parents, that fathers are not provoking their children to wrath but bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and to truly have a Christ-centered, Bible-based, dedicated family at home. It's important that as we consider our work, you know, we have the harvest field of the world, and certainly the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few, and we need to be busy in trying to win souls to Christ out in Corpus Christi and out in the area around us. But we also need to make sure that we're taking care of the garden in our backyard and the olive plants around about our tables. I thank God over the last 20 years we started our church from scratch. We're still scratching. We've knocked doors by the thousands and tens of thousands. And we have seen people saved. We have stacks of decision cards and baptisms and families joining and, and, uh, and, and, and all of that. And that's, that's all a blessing to have seen people saved. We've run a bus for 19 years. We've had our vacation Bible schools and our camps and, and, uh, and our special days and our Easter Sundays and our friend days. But I have to say, after 20 years, the, the best fruit I have that remains are the kids that grew up in our house. That and the kids who have grown up in the homes of the families we've reached who have raised their families and dedicated their homes to the Lord. And it's, it's, it's not just going out there and reaching the world while forgetting our own families. And it's also not neglecting the world because we're focused on our families. But to be out reaping the harvest and tending the garden is a, ne- is a necessary balance in our family life. Now, the book of Deuteronomy has a lot to say about the family because it's a national book. And the basic building block of a nation is the family unit. Problems in the home cause problems in our nation. And uh, we have just the millennial generation uh, has taken a lot of flack. uh, But they are also the first fatherless generation in American history. They are the first generation where most of them grew up without a father in their home for a significant portion of their childhood. See, as Satan has wrecked our homes, we are seeing the consequences of that in our nation. So we have to realize that many of our our national problems are really home problems, but the same can also be said of the local church. Many of the problems in our churches are actually home problems that are just carried over into the church house. Many of the problems I've had as a pastor were really, really just family problems that were carried into the church. 
And so we need to dedicate our homes to the Lord. Out-of-order homes are going to lead to out-of-order churches and an out-of-order nation. We have an out-of-order nation. Okay. It's chaos. I mean, they're burning cities down, destroying public and private property. Who raises these people? Who raises these folks that have a victim mentality, think they can do whatever they want to because they're part of a certain class or because they are a victim or because of, of white guilt or whatever, liberal guilt? Who has the right to act this way? What has happened to our nation when we have no decency in our nation? Well, a lot of it's a breakdown in the family unit, a lack of fathers, a lack of parental guidance, a lack of, of parental involvement, a lack of discipline in the family, a lack of God in the home. Well, I, you know, as I tell our church, I, I'd love, I wish I could take a lot of, of our nation to shake and say, what's wrong with you? But the fact of the matter is, what I can do is in November go down and cast my vote. And, like a lot of the silent majority, I will and I can't wait. In fact, I may vote early just in case I die. I want to make sure I don't want to vote Democrat. <laughs> I, used to, I used to avoid politics and preaching. I used to say that I'm like Jesus. I'm a friend of Republicans and sinners. <laughs> but things have gotten to the point where you can't. You have one party that is the, ha the home of everything against that book. How in the world can we, can we side with that? Yeah. Baby murdering, homosexuality. Destruction of the home, uh, all of these things are on the left. You and I, folks, as Christians, we need to be on the right Amen. and let our vote reflect that. I won't tell you who to vote for unless you ask me after the service, Republican. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm just saying, now I'd like to take our nation and say, what's wrong with you? The fact of the matter is what I really have control over is my own little circle of my own little part in my own, my own life, my family, you know. A lot of folks, have, they have not raised their children and then they're mad at everyone else's kids. We need to raise our own kids. Have a, have a good marriage for ourselves. Put God in our own families. And uh, let us work on our own uh, plot or lot and uh, dedicate our houses to the Lord. So I'm going to give you five thoughts this evening, five characteristics of a dedicated home. Now let me ask you, do you all love your Bibles? Amen. I love my Bible. And I want, I'm going to ask you to turn to several passages tonight, but they're all going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, okay? You realize when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he only quoted three scriptures and they were all from Deuteronomy? Yeah, that's a blessing. And uh, so we're going to look at, uh, at a bunch of different passages under five headings on characteristics of a dedicated home. Number one, blood bought. Blood bought. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 8. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he has sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He pointed them back to their redemption. Israel was brought out of Egypt under the blood of the Passover and by the power of God. It was the blood of the Passover that spared their firstborn. They were a blood-bought nation because of the blood that was shed and applied to the doorposts of their home. Now, we need to make sure that our families are blood-bought. To make sure that we are redeemed, that we are saved. Now, the, the difference is that uh, in Israel, the father could put the blood on the doorposts and everyone in the family was saved. The, 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 first, the firstborns were saved by the father's action. 
The difference for us is that every one of us has to come to a point when we repent and trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and then we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's very important for the young folks and all of us to understand, you're not saved by your daddy's salvation. You're not going to piggyback on your mom's profession of faith. You don't go to heaven because your grandpa's a preacher, or your dad's a deacon, or your mom taught Sunday school. We are saved through our own personal faith in Jesus Christ. And we must make sure that we are blood-bought, not just our parents and grandparents. Not just that I grew up in church hearing the Word of God, but there was a point in my life when I realized I was lost and I needed Jesus Christ to save me, and I trusted Him and received Him as my Savior. You don't piggyback to heaven. there's, There's enough grace to save everyone in the world, but God saves us one at a time individually He saves us and we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. And as parents, as families, we need to make sure that we are serious about everyone in our families knowing Jesus Christ is their Savior. I, got, I, I said this morning I was the first one in my family that got saved. My dad was a Navy lieutenant. Any Navy people here? Oh, a couple. My dad went into the Navy at 17, right out of high school. He grew up in the Southern Baptist churches as his family moved because his dad was in the Navy. And he said, I'll never go to church again. And he, and he really never did. He, he went to the Catholic church to get married to my mother. And he promised he'd be a good Catholic to marry her. But he wasn't ever a good Catholic. And uh, so we grew up in a godless home. Okay, secular home. Christmas was Santa Claus. Easter was the Easter Bunny. There was no Bible. There was no church. There was no, there was no understanding even. I didn't know about David and Goliath. You may think that's crazy, but I never went to VBS. I never went to Sunday school. I didn't know a thing about God or His Word. But I got saved. And soon my family started seeing the change in my life. And many times I'd be walking up and down our, we lived out in the country, walking up and down our driveway, praying for my mom and dad to get saved. My dad finally said, I got saved when I was a teenager. You know, he kind of brushed me off. But I kept praying for my mother. And one day, the day I graduated high school, I sat down with my mother and led her to Christ in her bedroom. And uh, then my brother came to church and my brother got saved. He walked the aisle and got saved over on this side and got baptized and got into church for a little while but didn't really have enough character to stay in for very long. And, uh, and then my dad started going to church and he, you know, he came in with, uh, you know, he really enjoyed the church and he was a man of discipline and, and a Navy officer ought to be and he kind of became trusted member of the church, became a deacon and the treasurer and then he got saved. <laughs> got to watch out for deacons and treasurers. But anyhow, so I'm just saying that I wanted my family to get saved. Now everyone in my immediate family saved. Whereas 30 years ago, no one in our immediate family was saved. We have to have a burden for our families. And when my wife and I married, my wife was a bus kid and grew up in a rough background, but we got saved and none of us knew really how to have a Christian home. Uh, We're just kind of learning and listening and anytime a preacher would come through preaching about the home, we take notes and we just wanted to have a Christian home. Our babies started coming and when when our children were, uh, before they were born, I mentioned this when I prayed for their future spouses, but also prayed for their salvation. And after they made early professions of faith, I kept praying for their salvation. Now, I believe wholeheartedly that little children can get saved. My uh, son Joe, he got saved at four. We were out soul winning a while back, and a man asked him, he said, he asked my son, what's your profession? My son said, I got saved when I was four years old. He said, you remember that? He said, I sure do. 
He said, are you sure about that? He said, I'm absolutely sure. But I kept praying because my, one of my daughters made a profession when she was about four or five. And, you know, years later, I think she was 12, she was really under conviction. And we tried to talk to her and give her some assurance, and there was no assurance there, and there was no memory of anything there. And, and, uh, and she, she got it settled. She got saved. She got baptized again, proper, well, baptized properly, because, you know, baptism of an unsaved person doesn't, is not baptism. So she got baptized, and there was a, a real change in her life. So I'm just saying, folks, you need to make matter a matter of prayer that you uh, know that your family is blood-bought, saved, and to keep praying for your children. And by the way, keep them in church. Don't just say, well, they got saved when they're four and five, so it's, good, it's okay for us to drop out of church now. You better keep them in. You better keep them in under the preaching of the gospel. And uh, because they, they may be among those who, when they become teenagers, realize they really need to get it settled. And if they're not in church, they're not going to get it settled. Y'all with me? I'm not saying little kids can't get saved. They certainly can. I'm just saying that you need to be wise about this and keep on praying for them. We need to make sure that our children are blood-bought, that they've been born again, that they are saved. I think the reason a lot of our kids, they grow up, they, we, we say they're prodigal. They may not be prodigal. They may just never have been saved. So magnify the grace of God in your own. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 20. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 20. <coughs> and when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. He hath brought us up from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land that he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God and for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. One thing we need to do as families under this thought of blood-bought, emphasize the grace of God. Emphasize the grace of God. I said this morning, young folks, you, you know, we either are saved from a life of sin or we're saved from a life of sin. You have one generation that grew up in Egypt. They, they could feel, they, they knew what it was like to live in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt, amen. They remembered Egypt. Now you have another generation that wasn't born in Egypt. But they need to understand that if it wasn't for the grace of God and His redemption, they would have been born in slavery and bondage. So our, young, our kids, a lot of times, they, 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 they struggle to appreciate what we appreciate. I got saved out of a life of sin. I got saved out of a hopeless life. I, there's no telling where I'd be today if God hadn't saved me. My kids have been in Sunday school since they were in the nursery. It's harder for them to comprehend. We, we need to understand, folks, that the grace of God is what made the difference in our families and our lives. Let's, let's move on to our second point, number two. First, blood bought. Number two, scriptures taught. Scriptures taught. Chapter 6 and verse 6. Chapter 6 and verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So we as parents, we write it upon our hearts first. Then we pass it on to our children and teach them diligently. 
There are three ways we teach our kids or teach anybody. We teach a little by what we say. We teach more by what we do. We teach most by what we are. That's why when the father says, do as I say, not as I do, he is not setting a good example for his kids. Because your kids see what you are before they listen to what you say. Why won't you listen to me? Because your life and your words don't match. So we teach a little by what we say. We teach more by what we do. We teach most by what we are. We can plaster scripture all over our homes. But if we're not living right, it's not going to matter. It's going to, in fact, it's going to have the adverse effect. It's going to have the opposite effect. When we have all this scripture, but our lives aren't anywhere near matching up to what the Bible says. So how can we teach the scriptures diligently to our kids? Well, first of all, you should take advantage of your church's teaching ministry. Now, I'm not saying that's all you need. I'm just saying, first of all, you should take advantage of the teaching, preaching ministry of your church. Have your kids in Sunday school every Sunday. Have your kids in junior church. Have your kids in Sunday morning service. Have your kids in Sunday night service. Have your kids in Wednesday night service. Have your kids involved in uh, Bible Blazers uh, and, you know, and the teen pro, the Brian class and all the programs that you have because then you're taking advantage of what God placed in the church, pastors and teachers. God is the one who did that. And there are those, well, we're just going to go back to, the, to just having a home at church. And just the, the, but you, you're ignoring the fact that God started a church for a reason. Okay? And part of that is pastors and teachers. And they're for our benefit. And so take advantage of that. And then secondly, have a family altar, especially when your kids are young. Have that family time of reading the Bible together. Read the Bible to your kids when they're small. Spend some time in prayer together. And then take advantage of teachable moments and, uh, and point your kids to the Lord and try to illustrate some Bible truth. And then most importantly, just live it in front of them. Uh, on Father's Day, I preached to our men and I said, you know, it's important to spend quality time with our kids and have those family vacations and such. But we, as men, we can't just work 52 weeks of the year and ignore, 51 weeks of the year and ignore our kids and think we can squeeze it all into seven days of quality time. We need quantity time too. Our kids need to see us doing chores. Our kids need to see us going to the store. Our kids need to see us living life. Our kids need to see us in the daily routines and see how a Christian ought to live doing those things. And as you, and you're going to be teaching a lot without even realizing you're teaching a lesson. By how you dress, how you act, how you talk, how you treat people, how you treat each other. All of that is living out the Christian life. And that has a, an amazing impact on the mind of a child. And so we want to have the scriptures taught. Blood-bought, scripture taught. Number three, worldly not. Worldly not. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 2. Chapter 7, verse 2. When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, talking about the Canaanites, and utterly destroy them, thou shalt not, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them, ye shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Notice in verse 24, 
Uh, verse 25. Verse 25. Uh, the graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, neither taken unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring, verse 26, an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it. Thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. And there are several other passages in Deuteronomy 12 and other places where God dealt with Israel and said, you're going to be taking this land of Canaan, but Canaan is so wicked, that's why I'm destroying them. They, they had become Sodom and Gomorrah on a national scale. They were so wicked that God said, I'm tired of them being on the earth. So don't follow their ways. Folks, the world is a dumpster fire. Why in the world do we want to absorb their ways and follow their habits and their practices? Why would I want to bring their things into my home? My home is to be a dedicated thing. You want to come to a church where you have, where it's a, a church. You don't want to see worldly stuff up on the platform. You don't want to see worldly mu- or hear worldly music played uh, in your church. You don't want to uh, see uh, this, the church looking like a bar or like a casino or like a nightclub. You want the church to be like a church. Well, brother, we need to make sure the world's not in our homes also. And keep certain things out and keep certain things in. They will, these things will affect our children and, and destroy their spiritual lives. Some things need to be torn down, thrown out, burned up. It doesn't, it's not going to do much good to be in a separated church if, you're not, if you don't have separated homes. The Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Remember in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah came back, he was so angry. Remember, he, they built the wall, they set everything in order, and he had to go report back to the, to the king, and he was gone for a couple of years, and he came back and he found his enemy, Sanballat, and Tobiah, living in the temple. They made a room for him, an apartment for him. Remember what Nehemiah did? He, was, I, he started throwing, I just picture windows open and, and couches flying out and chairs flying out. You know the difference between Nehemiah and Ezra? When Ezra got upset, he pulled his hair out. When Nehemiah got upset, he pulled other people's hair out. <laughs> Why would you give place to, to San, uh, Tobiah? I forget which one it was, but you remember the story. It was one of those that had been the enemy of God's people. Now living had an apartment in the temple, the house of God. What is he doing in there? What is Satan doing with the place in our families? So we have to make sure that we're, 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 we're paying attention to these things. What kind of music is being played in our homes, in our cars, on our kids' Uh, whatever they listen to these days, on their cell phones, their iPods, whatever they're using now. What kind of music are they tuned into? Are, are they listening to the bar music, the club music? Are they listening to music that glorifies fornication, drug abuse, drunkenness, divorce, wrecked lives, hopelessness? You know, we have so many options now. When, when, when our family was young, we, anytime an evangelist or a missionary came through that a music CD... I mean, we, we, we might have been dirt poor, but we bought the CD. And we listened to that CD until it was ingrained into our brains. Over and over and over again. I've listened to every Patch the Pirate CD a hundred times. I mean, I, and, and now with the internet <coughs> and some good online stations like KNVBC and a few others, uh, that you can put on your phone, that you can put through Bluetooth into your cars, that you can play through your soundbar in your house. There's no reason why we can't have good, godly music saturating our lives and families all the time. It's a lot better than 
the music where the one song they're, they're getting together and the next song they're breaking up and, and the kind of music you hear in the beer halls and the honky-tonks. and That's not godly music, folks. And, and so, you know, we, we want to make sure that our, our homes are not full of that kind of music and our hearts are not that full of that kind of music. And, and I understand I got saved out of that and I had to get, throw away a lot of music and I had to forget a lot of that music and, and replace it with good godly music. But I tell you, that's one of the most important things we do with our family is keep them away from the world's music and get them plugged into God's music. Worldly ideas, worldly practices like teenage dating. As I mentioned this morning, and no one asked me to preach on it tonight, but I'll go ahead and mention it again tonight. Uh, and I don't even know where you all stand. I just assume that you're smart like I am. But <laughs> and I know, I know some of the older folks, they, they don't think it's a big deal because when they were younger, it wasn't a big deal. But now it's a big deal. I've got to say, it's far better for our young folks to just hang out together in church and be friends and, and, and not have the pressure of having boyfriends and girlfriends when they're 14 and 15, figure out who they're going to marry by the time they're 16, and, and, and all of that, that'll wreck a youth department. That'll wreck a youth department. And in our church, we've always taken that stand. And, so, you know, and, and I have three daughters and a son. And I say, you know, we can hang out in groups. And, and y'all can be friends with boys and girls. And, and as long as you're in a group and together with a church activity and stuff, you can talk and have fun and, and all of that sort of thing. But we're not, we're not messing with dating when you're 10th grade. We're not messing with your 11th and 12th grade. When you get out of high school, if that's the one, they'll still be around. But you need to serve the Lord without distraction. So th that's just a worldly idea. We've got Christian parents paying for hotel rooms on prom night for their kids. Where's that come from? God said flee fornication. Well, they're going to do it anyway. No, not if you stop it. Not if you teach your kids from young that they're to be pure and decent and honorable and, and that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, not to follow the world's format. I was so proud of one of our girls in our church that she goes to public school. And, uh, and she graduated, graduated a couple of years ago. And on her prom night, she, she said, I'm, I'm not going to, to prom. And uh, so she got some girls to the church together. And they, they spent the evening together and just went to top golf and knocked golf balls around. Just had a good time. And forsook the prom and all, what all the other teenagers were doing and did something with her Christian friends instead. You see, it's important that we, we keep the worldly ideas and trends uh, and styles out of our families and out of our homes. And uh, so we, we have to make sure that we keep the, the, the music right. What about our TV, you know? Now, I don't own a TV. All right. My wife owns two, but I don't own any. <laughs> You're like, ooh, he's, he's fanatical. And we have a TV. I always recommend to our families, have one TV that everyone watches, not everyone having their own where you don't know what they're watching. Computers, phones, these are dangerous things. Young, folk, young folks, and, and y'all are a great group of young folks. I can just see in your faces the good attitude that they, these kids have. And I, I'm sure these kids are not a big problem. I think this one over here is. But other than that, you know, they're, they're <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Uh, you know, but kids, kids are young and kids are impressionable and kids are, they're not always wise. That's why they need parents to say, you know what, you know, we're not even going to play with that. Yeah. We're not even going to mess with that. And to have on our phones and on our computers some kind of accountability software, you know, so that you know that if you're tempted to open that site or go to there, you, you, we're going to see it. And we'd rather not kill you. 
So, I'm just saying, this is not, when I was a kid, this was, I mean, the TV was a problem, cable TV was a problem, the internet wasn't a problem, we didn't have it. We didn't have our smartphones, things like that. You had to hide everything from your parents when I was a kid. And, and now it's just, a, it's just a push of the button away. And so we as parents, we've got to be smart and, and stay on top of that because we want our kids to have a good, clean mind. And you kids want to have a good, clean, you don't want to have a dirty conscience. You, you don't want to mess things up when you're 15, 16, 17. You know how many young, young men are in, uh, they're like in drug rehab centers now and they're constantly, they might as well be on meth or cocaine because they're addicted to pornography. And they have to deal with it the same as de dealing with cocaine or meth or alcohol. You know, it'd be a lot better if they just never got on it in the first place, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I would say to the young folks, just stay clean and stay out of that stuff. And let's, let's parents say, you know what? We're going to be blood-bought and Scripture-taught and worldly not. And instead of always walking on the edge with our families, let's move our families over a few feet so that if they do stumble, they don't fall off the cliff. I remember I went to school with a man named Darren, at Bible college, I should say. He was a good man. He, he was a football player at, at uh, Oklahoma State University, real muscular guy. And he, he got saved and got into church and, and got called to preach. Uh, and he started, he was a black man and started dating this black girl that had been reached on the bus ministry of our church. And, uh, <laughs> and I've heard this story. Brother Smith told this story. And uh, one night... Uh, Brother Darren called Brother Smith and said he was just weeping, just weeping uncontrollably. And uh, he said, Pastor, I messed up, I messed up. Brother Smith said, what happened, son, what happened? He said, you are, you're going to be so disappointed. He said, what happened, son? He said, and of course, Brother Smith's thinking the worst. He said, I kissed her. I kissed her. And Brother Smith's like, <laughs> and he's like, well, son, <laughs> we can repent of this. But see, because the uh, you shouldn't kiss until you get married. That's old-fashioned, I know. It's back before we had all these unwanted pregnancies and abortions and everything. But you should, you should wait until you have your first kiss at the altar. But when your standards are way over here and you stumble a little bit, it's not quite the same as when you're right on the edge and you fall off into the abyss. It's a lot better to put a guardrail at the top than a hospital at the bottom. Now, I want a hospital at the bottom, too, for those who do mess up. But for my kids, I want to have a guardrail at the top so they're not falling off all the time. Well, I'll move on to the next point. We'll talk about blood-bought, Scripture-taught, worldly not. Number four, righteousness caught. Righteousness caught. Let's look at chapter 25 and verse 14. Chapter 25, verse 14. <coughs> verse 14. Verse 13, thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse weights, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things and all that do it unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And so the importance of having just weights in your house. Now what is this referring to? Well, uh, just picture in your mind a butcher uh, who changes the scale a little bit so that it weighs a little bit more than it actually does so he can make a little bit more money 
on the weight. Okay? It always reminds me of the Norman Rockwell picture I saw of a lady at the butcher counter, and the, the butcher had his thumb on the scale, and she had her hand on this side, and they were both trying to cheat each other. <laughs> but the importance of having just weights in your house. In other words, having, in other words your kids are going to recognize hypocrisy. If you're not true, uh, if you don't have just weights, uh, it doesn't take long before the kids start to wonder, why do we have two different weights and, and, and one, says more than the, one weighs more than the other, but it said they both say the same thing. Okay. You, can, you can fool a fool and you can con a con, but you can't kid a kid. And so to have that inconsistency. Now, I, I often tell the, our, the kids in our church, I said, you can't expect your parents to be perfect. None of us are perfectly consistent. We all have our flaws. But when there are huge, glaring inconsistencies that hurt our own testimony with our family, that's a problem. That's a problem. Our, our homes need to have consistency and righteousness, and that is more caught than taught. They learn by watching us in the way that we live. Double standards are a way of describing hypocrisy. You've got to, be, you've got to strive to be the same kind of person wherever you are. Okay. And, you know, that's one reason why, you know, I, I, my, in our family we emphasize modest dress no, where, no matter where we are. Okay. Not just when we're at church. You know, and, and when we go out in public, go on vacation, we're going to live by the same standards. Okay. It's important for us. I, I got saved into a church where you, you got dressed up on Sunday and you did all the church stuff and then Monday through Saturday, you're just like the world. You know, I, that just that smacked of hypocrisy to me. I didn't want to be that inconsistent. It's important that I, I, I don't wear a suit every day, but I, I try to dress appropriately to honor my Lord every day. And so does my wife and daughter. So it's important that we have consistency in our standards. We need to make sure that our actions back up our profession so that our kids catch it. They, they kind of just, it rubs off on them when they see that consistent testimony. So blood-bought, scripture taught, worldly not, righteousness caught. And this is always my favorite, or my, the favorite point in my sermons, the last point. Finally, rejoicing a lot. Rejoicing a lot. Look at chapter 12 with me. Chapter 12, verse 7. <coughs> chapter 12, verse 7. And this is God's instruction for the times that they were to come to the house of God. Verse 7 it says, There shall ye eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Verse 12, And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maidservants and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he hath no partner inheritance with you. And there are other passages. Look, look, look at uh, chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 45. I'm sorry, verse 47. Deuteronomy 28, verse number 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Our homes ought to be happy places. Happy places. Uh, and that's up to us. And when we come to church as a family, we should strive to make that a happy experience. Coming to church, fighting the whole way, and then leaving, griping the whole way, does not make a great impression. 
roasting the preacher and pointing out everything you disagreed with on the way home. It really doesn't help. Amen. And I realize that there may be something that you didn't like, but you know what? Constantly putting that in front of your family, you're teaching them to not have respect for the man of God. And one day you're going to need them to have respect for the man of God. Because there may come a time when he's the last man standing between them and a wrecked life. Y'all with me? There may come a time when that man right there or his wife is all that is standing between them and a wrecked life. Do not undercut him continually before your children. You and they will regret it. And that's not threatening, that's just facts. I, my kids, they've grown up. I, of course, I've been their pastor the whole time, but we haven't, we, we, we haven't, we haven't complained and, and griped about church members and church problems and, and other preachers and all these things. I want them to listen to other preachers. I, there may come a time when another preacher stands between them and a messed up life, and I don't want to be the one that has undercut their ability to influence them. Okay. So we ought to make it a happy experience. Well, listen to a couple other verses. Proverbs 17, 1. Blessed is a dry, or better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. To the husband, Proverbs eleven twenty nine, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be the servant to the wise of heart. Don't trouble your own house. To the wife, I've got several. <laughs> Proverbs 14, 1, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plugeth it down with her hands. Proverbs 21, 9, It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. And that's repeated a couple of times. And as a pastor, I have seen women complain their families out of church. I've seen that too many times. And they just complain, they complain, they complain, they complain their families right out of God's will. And I've seen husbands too, but I, I just have seen it more with women. And that's not putting women down, it's just, just my observation and my own experience. Maybe that's why God said it's good for us, uh, for the wise one to build up her house instead of plucking it down brick by brick, uh, uh, wood, piece of wood by piece of wood, destroying what you ought to be building up. Young folks, you have no right to ruin the happiness of your home. And I, I see the kids and they all you know, seem to have a real good attitude and that's a blessing in a youth group. But we've all seen kids at the mall or at the store or whatever and they're just unhappy with their parents and they're letting everyone know about it. And they're, they're just down and 10 feet behind their parents and they make everything miserable. Those same kids will grow up and say, my parents never spent time with me. And every time their parents did, they made it an unhappy experience. So enjoy it. When your parents want to do something with you, be a cheerful young person. It's up to everyone in the home to do their best to make it a happy place. Instead of a place of griping, complaining, nagging, fighting, arguing, bickering, yelling. To make the home some place that you like to be. Not some place your kids can't wait to escape. So when was the last time your family just rejoiced together? Just had a good time together. You know, our, our families, we have more and more, our oldest is married, moved out, and expecting her first child. Our second is engaged. Our third is ready to go to college. Our fourth turned 17 this week. And, you know, just recently we all had to get together for Father's Day. And we're all sitting out in our fire, at our fire pit and, and just talking and having a good time and singing and, and, uh, you know, my wife just loves family gatherings and such. And, you know, how important it is just for families to, to rejoice together, to rejoice and enjoy things together. 
So we're not going to win in the long run if we rush off to battle but haven't dedicated our homes. We have to dedicate the home front. Got to get that settled. So blood-bought, scripture-taught, worldly-not, righteousness-caught, rejoicing a lot. These are five things that I think would make any family better. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.